Today, we're hearing from Peter Rifkin out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Peter is Principal Solutions Consultant for QuickBase, the self-proclaimed world's most beloved low-code engineering platform. Now, if you've never heard the term low-code before, it's really just a way of building useful pieces of software visually without the need to write code from scratch. So that makes it accessible to a lot more people who may not have the formal training in software development that you would need to write something from scratch. And Peter is going to be sharing with us how low-code solutions support digital manufacturing specifically for SME manufacturers. Also joining us today is Sonia Salim, Senior Director of Marketing for QuickBase, to help us understand how manufacturers can begin their journey to using low-code solutions. So Peter, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chad. Good to be here. Sonia, thanks for joining us as well. Thanks, Chad. Thank you for having us. Now, Peter, can you start with a little bit more context on your background and what exactly is this idea of low code and why did it come about? It's funny how I, I got here. I, I studied mechanical engineering 10 or so years ago and got a lot of the, the foundations of what are some of the processes in manufacturing. And then I went off to work in the test and measurement world and got a feeling for you know how instrumentation control systems, measurement systems are put together. And then pivoted to this thing called QuickBase and entered into this world of, you know, fast, rapid application development, low code, some call it no code, and really have had a chance to blend a lot of my experiences together. And it's a really tough question to answer, actually, because depending on, you know, what you read, where you read it, you get different definitions of low code and no code. And so I think it's important to really understand the the spirit of, of the movement, which is kind of what you said. There's a lot of thirst or appetite for innovation in the business and for folks that are close to the work, close to their customers to innovate and create solutions quickly. And they're finding that those typically end up with requests going to IT for certain applications or changes to those applications. And there's just more demand to really get closer to your customer and not enough resources in professional digital development worlds to kind of fulfill that need. So people are going out and finding ways to kind of create their own solutions with tools like Airtable, Smartsheet, QuickBase, some of the other more Cody tools like OutSystems. So there, there's definitely demand out there, but that's kind of my, my first thought as to why it's happening. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And in, you really touched on what I think is the crux of the issue. And that is that there just aren't enough highly skilled engineers out there. And I think for a variety of reasons that I, this is just my opinion, but I really believe that this is the future of technology development. What you see in every aspect of technology and society is you see this push toward commoditization, which really just means that things are getting easier to piece together where you no longer have to start from scratch. And it sounds like that's exactly what this is. And I think it's worth really understanding what exactly low code is in terms of how it's practically used. So can you kind of give me a visual of what this might look like? And just in general, when would you even think to use a low code solution? Yeah, so you can think of low code as their their environments that you can use and they're very quote abstract environments they're often very drag and droppy where you can configure full applications that do a variety of things and it's usually a configure it once and then you can deploy it anywhere you can deploy it to a mobile interface you can deploy it to your tablet browser and some systems are compiled where you configure it and then it actually creates an application and Others kind of like QuickBase are completely no code at all. And the idea is that you can visually configure your data tables, the relationships between those data tables. So for instance, you want to make an application that tracks projects. So one of your tables is a project table. And then you could click and drag a table to track the tasks for those projects, the expenses for those projects. And then the idea is that you can create a, a reporting and a user interface on top of it. 
So you can have a dashboard of all your projects, the projects that are overdue or your tasks that are overdue. And then you can go as far as to start to configure some of the workflow around that data and that reporting. So whenever a task is complete, I want to be able to email somebody or start another workflow. And they can quickly grow into pretty powerful applications. And as you said, you don't really need to understand how the code underneath it is instrumented. You really just kind of want to have an idea of what the process and the outcome is, which is why it's important to underscore the fact that even though low code promises a lot of power, it doesn't mean you can't go forth and and execute on these things without taking the time to plan these applications and speak with all the stakeholders. And that really dovetails nicely with your other question, which is, well, when, when would I use something like low code or no code? And it's another tool in the tool chain. So there's always going to be a place for like an Excel where you want to do some quick and dirty prototyping. You want to put a financial spreadsheet together. There's always going to be a place for email where it's unstructured, free form communication. I think low code really has its place when we're talking about complex processes that touch multiple teams, multiple people, multiple types of data. And everyone wants to kind of align around a single set of KPIs or outcomes. And it's really important to take that highly, highly unique process. And there's a lot of them in manufacturing, which is why manufacturing is such a popular space where there's a lot of opportunity for for low code and then bridge it all together. So you have folks that are working on assembly, doing their very unique work connected to the folks that are working on testing, to the folks that are working on safety checks, to the designers, and then whole feedback loop. There's just not a lot of systems that capture all those very unique elements and allow them to work together. And they're really expensive systems to develop in custom, like if you were to code it up yourself. So that's, I think, a really great opportunity for flexible, agile, low-code systems to kind of take over and and, and fill that, that void. Yeah, and you touched on several uses that I could certainly see this being really powerful in. And one, of course, is integration, where you're tying together a bunch of different things that are happening or data sources that have already recorded what has happened. So I think your Excel metaphor is actually really spot on because Excel can be programmed. You can write scripts, macros, you can pipe data in and out of it. You can do that actually with the visual tools in Excel, as well as doing that through code. And even though I think that what you're describing is so much more than that, it's really accomplishing the same thing, just with more depth to it, so to speak. Am I getting closer? You are, because there's a lot of savvy people in, in every business. You'll, you'll find your coders that are obviously able to do full applications, but then you'll find your closet coders, if you will, the folks that are really good with tools and technology. And you can sit someone like that down, give them a spreadsheet, give them a macro, and they'll create these amazing Franken apps that can pull data, grab data. And the idea is that they'll solve very specific problems sometimes really nicely. The challenge comes in scale and it comes in when you need to have user concurrency, you need to support teams that are not on the same share drive. You need to be able to support hundreds of thousands of rows of data and frankly, maintain it. And a lot of people don't take the time to think about maintainability of a system, documentation, and how do I put roles and permission and governance around what I'm building? If you've worked with one of these crazy Excel sheets, they're really not designed for collaboration. They're designed to solve a particular problem, get a certain report out. And what we're finding is that low code is is handling, well, how do I take the creativity in an organization, this latent creativity to solve problems, and scale it to fit the culture of an organization. And and to do that requires tools and platforms that support not only the functions you talked about, like the macros and the moving data around, but also, well, how do we give different roles to different people? How do we restrict those roles to see the data that they need to see and not the data that they don't need to see? And even give groups of people the ability to customize where others are maybe just participants and viewers. So that experience and that governance is a big part of, of low and no code. And 
any company that wants to adopt it really has to think about, well, how are we going to put that governance model in place so that this doesn't become something that spins out of control? Yeah. And I, and I think that that's the fundamental limit on Excel, because what you find is a lot of companies of all sizes, but especially you go into a small manufacturing company and these guys have gotten really good at making these giant spreadsheets that maybe, you know, they're not perfect, but they get by with them. I interviewed a guy a while back. He was a chocolate maker. He made, he had a chocolate factory. They had actually built an entire, essentially ERP onto Google Sheets. But the thing is, is that every six months they got so clogged with data that the whole thing would crash. So he ended up having to build his own solution from scratch, which brings me to my point. And that is that that's not an option for most small manufacturers. And even for larger manufacturers, that's a that's an investment of not just cost, but that's an investment of having to really take the time to understand what you need up front across the board. And so the fundamental limit of Excel is that it's this single large input. You can see everything that's going on. Whereas what you mentioned was you want to be able to restrict the information and the access to that information in a way that makes sense for their business. So with low code, it sounds like what you can do that Excel can't do is not only can you have this data pipes moving information back and forth in the background, but you can also make your own perhaps web-based dashboards and you can also make your own small applications or apps that would maybe be deployed to a mobile device. So you truly are hitting all of the points of need across the organization. Yeah, I was just going to add to that. I think Peter hit on a lot of great points, and so did you. Where I think QuickBase fits in really nicely is that whether it's a small manufacturer or a large manufacturer, we really help them innovate by perfecting their unique processes. Because the example that you even mentioned, right, like over there, that guy is looking at building a whole ERP system, they could use QuickBase and really tailor their process and look at how they're deploying low-code software solutions and bringing all the apps together. And we have an integrations piece as well with our pipelines capability that can help them connect to the different systems. So it's really powerful for like people who may not know how to code because, for instance, in marketing, my team itself like uses QuickBase all the time to connect all of the different tools and technologies we have. Yeah, and, and this is a really important point that both of you have mentioned understanding your processes or, or, or building around these processes. And that's very consistent with the other experts that I've spoken with, these same conversations where we talk about how there's this technology available, but it ultimately comes down to understanding how your business runs, how you want it to run. And really that's what the whole digital manufacturing is all about. And it sounds like with the low code approach, you have an opportunity to match the way you build your software and the way you build your tools more closely with how you actually think about them and map those processes. So how does that conversation actually start when you talk to someone like a small manufacturer? That's a great question. And the funny thing is, is I actually survey a lot of the folks I work with on trends like have you heard of Industry 4.0, cyber physical systems, AI, MI, and RPA, and low code? And and most of the of a manufacturer, they don't really resonate or identify with these terms. And so the conversation tends not to start with "I need low code, I need no code." It starts with some trend out there in the in the market. Like it's really the market forces are driving a lot of this this convergent points to to need tools like low code. And the market is saying, you know, I need more customizable product. I need buying patterns are changing, and manufacturing is kind of a historically slow to change and adapt industry in that. These processes take years to change. And you know, if you think about an automobile, new product introduction for an automobile is three to four years to get concept to market. And that's not fast enough. And a lot of the reason why they're so slow, slow to move is because of all these unique processes that Sonia mentioned, trapped disparate systems, the lack of connectivity. But what we start where we start the conversation is 
is I need a tool that tracks a quality issue or Kaizen and they find us on Google. And disclaimers, I, I work with a lot of our larger automotive, so our larger manufacturing companies. So take that with a grain of salt as far as scaling down to smaller. But it's the same thing. It's they need to compete and, and adapt and react. And you need to then have your technology and tools closer to the ideal processes. And so we start with a conversation about a, a specific need. And then our job at QuickBase is, well, we don't want to just give you an app and you're off to the races. It's how do we help you to work closer to the way you need to so that the application maps to the process, but also to the end-to-end journeys in the organization from product development to production, the customer journey, so on and so forth. And we back into this conversation about, well, have you considered this idea of, of low code and no code and some of the ways your organization can adapt around it. So I'll, I'll pause there because there's, there's more that we could touch on, but just wanted us to start with that thought. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point about calling it a journey because when you look at the digital manufacturing transformation, it really is a journey. It's not something that you can just do one thing and be done. And something like a low-code solution or really anything that allows you to piece into tools that better support your business and make changes on a rolling, progressive basis, it supports this idea that comes up in a lot of more successful organizations, which is fail fast, be experimental, just try things and see what works. And something like QuickBase would represent a platform that creates the opportunity to do that, to plug in other pieces and to build your processes and change them as you go, as you discover what works and doesn't work. Now you're getting to the heart of it. Making changes on a rolling progressive basis is like center to so many manufacturing methodologies and philosophies, but so hard to do in practice. Like you, you go to Six Sigma, Kaizen, and it's all about incremental changes every day. But then you look at the reality, it's, well, we've got our one big Kaizen event a quarter, and that was our continuous improvement effort. It's just tough to to actually practice continuous innovation every day. But that's exactly the promise of low code is to actually help organizations to digitize their processes, but then also adapt when they need to make a change and systematize the continuous improvement process. So both the process and the tool that supports it can change every day to to grow based off of what's what's needed. So I, I think you hit the hammer on the nail there. I was just going to add to that. I think one other key point is that with low code, right, you're able to perfect those unique processes, like Peter was saying in Uber 2, that really traditional software can't handle. Like your Excel example that we used earlier is only going to go so far. So when you really want to move fast and, you know, digitize with speed and be agile, that's where low code would really help you. Yeah. And I think that that there's a fine line between adopting a tool and looking at it and saying, okay, this is going to solve all of our problems and really understanding how it fits into things. So I'm curious, I'd like to play devil's advocate here. I'm curious, what does the effort look like to actually move from nothing to a low code solution? What is the least amount of work that you can do to get some sort of result out of it? So it all comes back to the fact that it's a journey, but it doesn't mean you can't have small wins along the way. So when we talk about a transformation journey, you have to meet every organization where they are. Some some organizations have been digital for years and we're, we're kind of augmenting that. Others are paper pencil for years and we're talking about a new way to interact with information. And so it really, I think it really has to start with, well, what's the smallest win usually involves solving the simplest problem where you can get some sort of impact and, and result. Using that as kind of the case study for scaling a new muscle across the organization. So the promise of low code is we can react to market forces faster and adapt and, and be more agile and all that great stuff. The first problem you're going to solve is maybe digitizing your your quality checks, and that could be as simple as 
taking a spreadsheet that was on a shared drive and putting it into an application and getting everyone comfortable with a new way to interact with a 20-year-old system. So I think it's something we advocate for with all of our, our customers. It's really important to do what you said earlier, which is fail fast, but you're not failing in a catastrophic way. You're taking a bite-sized mini problem, if you will, using this as a, as a case study for how to maybe solve a problem in a low-code way and then learning from it to figure out, okay, well, how do we scale this or how do we add more functionality to it? And then how do we maybe create a part of our organization that is good at this thing called low-code applications and then do a second application? And then as you do that, it really becomes important to think about the ecosystem and the architectures and the journey, which is, okay, so we solve for this little widget that everyone can make entries from a quality standpoint, but how do we actually solve for the hundreds of widgets out there and which one is the highest priority and who's going to be responsible for creating them? And that's where we have that conversation about governance and roles and permissions and the new swim lanes in a digital manufacturing organization that need to kind of exist to support doing this at, on a larger scale. Yeah. And what kind of response do you typically see from the line level day-to-day -day people that will have to use this? I mean, I know that there's this idea of digital champions and they can come from anywhere in an organization, oftentimes the least expected places. But there's also a tendency with all of us as humans to resist the change. So on the one hand, you could be very excited because you're, you know, I'm a huge nerd and I like low code solutions. It's really exciting. But to somebody who's just trying to get something done day to day and they're comfortable with the way things are done, if you have an organizational leader who comes in and says, okay, we're going to look at this low-code solution. What kind of response do you typically see to that? And how does that transformation occur? It's tough. And I'll find that maybe there's a small percentage that fully, especially manufacturing, that fully embrace changes like this. But for the most part, a lot of the technicians that I work with or the operators They've been literally doing a very similar motion for sometimes 10, 20, 30 years. So just, I mean, I get the fat finger joke all the time is uh, fat fingered it. So the second you, you show them a process in a, in a mobile screen versus a piece of paper, that in itself is uncomfortable. And so a lot of the times you have to kind of push through that early resistance, but there's a lot of things you can do from a training standpoint to mitigate some of that risk, but you're going to have resistance. And that's why strong leadership and, and a strong game plan as to what are the macro benefits we can get out of this are going to overcome some of the short-term pain of getting individuals to interact with data differently, look at reports differently. But I think you, you win a little bit when you start to show them, well, here's how your work might get easier. And to the extent to which you can tell that story as to me, okay, you're going you're gonna to maybe interact with data differently, but here's a report that's going to be real time and live as opposed to something that somebody has to take a week to, to process. And you're not going to have to enter in this information anymore because the data is connected. So maybe you'll save time and not have to do this work at the end of the day. So while there's going to be change in how work is done, I think there's also a lot of benefits to point to to overcome that that potential resistance. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really the difference between a command and control mindset top down that frankly is no longer going to work as well. The difference between that mindset and encouraging your team to embrace opportunities to make their own lives easier, to make their own lives, to free up their time so that they can spend that time doing more creative work instead of doing the same old, boring, routine stuff over and over again. And the manufacturers, the successful small manufacturers that I've talked to, they all kind of say the same thing. And that is that once they show their team the benefits, they really just have to offer the guidance of, this is what we're trying to achieve as a business in terms of growth or whatever it is. Now, tell me what you need to make your life easier. Let's explore potential solutions. And of course, low code could be one of those solutions. 
Yeah, and that's it. More creative work, showing the team benefits, and then the top-down piece isn't going to be, you know, thou shalt do this. It's more of a you have to nurture and guide along the way and say this is an initiative. You know, there is some firmness and this is an initiative that we want to take, but articulating this is the the value that we're hunting as a as a small business. And like you said, it's it's going to be a culture thing. I think 90% of the battle is getting the culture aligned to this and then the processes and then the work will falls in place around it. I think also one of the things that we say all the time at QuickPace and we truly believe in and low code echoes is that we empower those closest to the work. So with small manufacturers, you know, you often see that the person who's leading the operations is doing many, many things. And there's a lot of manual processes. So by giving them low-code software and understanding the problem that they're looking to solve, we're really empowering them to take back control and speed up the process and then, you know, save on that cost or better their operations overall. So it's really coming to them with, let's understand that problem together, let's explore it, and then let's help you solve it by taking control through these low-code solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a really striking message in contrast to this idea that technology is going to take jobs. Really what it's going to do is, yes, it's going to lower costs, but the reason it's lowering costs is because it's taking away the need for a person to do something that a person is not best suited to do. People are better suited for creative tasks that require problem solving and the ability to bring together multiple pieces of information, multiple opportunities in some novel way that creates a competitive platform. So it sounds like that's really a win-win all around is everybody benefits from this. Yeah, it's the pro you hit it with humans to feel engaged at work. You've got to be problem solving in some way. There's going to be folks that prefer to kind of check in, do a certain task and check out. And those are the folks that tend to be the source of resistance. But healthy organizations with, you know, healthy cultures and healthy performance, you're hiring problem solvers, not repetitive pressers of a certain stamp. So they're increasingly expecting their companies to embrace processes to continuously improve. They're expecting continuous improvement. And they're expecting that the, the things that they learn coming out of college, you know, 21st century education and manufacturing technology, the next generation of workers is expecting that the companies that they land in are going to kind of embrace that technology and that their systems are going to be good, their data is going to be connected. So it's, it's also a, a long-term viability thing. Like, unless you adopt some of these low-code, no-code technologies, mm -hmm you're quickly going to face competition from having your best talent uh, recruited away. That's And that's another trend we're seeing that uh, shouldn't be ignored. Yeah, that's the hardest part or one of the hardest aspects of this transformation is even though we call it a digital transformation, really it's a cultural and mindset transformation because what we're seeing is it's not like technology is new. Yes, technology is maturing. But that's exactly my point is that technology is becoming mature enough that we can now use it in ways that we haven't been able to use it before. It's now cost effective enough. And so what's happening is the generation or really anybody for that matter, who doesn't embrace that and doesn't look for ways to utilize that, they're not able to maintain a competitive baseline. So we're not even talking about a competitive advantage here. We're just saying what is the minimum necessary to make sure that you can acquire good talent or acquire and keep good talent and be able to use them in ways that are effective and that allow them to stay happy. Yeah. And I'll underscore your point because I, I thought that was really interesting is it's a cultural transformation. And also, it's a convergence of technology in a way that the general population now has access to its entire its entire power in that someone like like me where three or four years ago I didn't know what a database was almost I feel like I am empowered to solve all sorts of problems that maybe I couldn't 10 years ago because to create an integration between two disparate systems 
I don't need to know how to code. I don't need to know how to do this ETL stuff. It's really a drag and drop experience. So I have a, a solution in my head to a problem that I've identified in my organization. I can, within hours, have a prototype ready. It's a database. It's robust. It's, it's fully integrated. There's error logs. There's checks. And it's, it's something that can be deployed to production. And so it allows anyone now that has that creativity on how the world can work better to actually act on it. And the challenge then for organizations is harnessing the passion. The next wave is going to be you're going to find a lot of very excited, very um, hardworking folks going out and creating solutions with these low-code tools. And then organizations are going to have to kind of back into, well, we've got all this this low-code out there accidentally almost. How do we recover and put a strategy around it? And so forward-thinking organizations are saying, this is coming, we need a strategy. Some organizations are totally shutting it down and others are kind of having to react to the fact that their employees have found it and now they need to kind of curtail it. And that's just kind of where we are right now at the, I would say at the beginning of the curve, if you will. Yeah, I think that's a really good segue into maybe some practical examples of this because we've talked about a few things. One is there's this idea of cultural transformation, cultural adoption. And so there's points of resistance, there's points of enthusiasm. Can you think of a particular example that would highlight some of that that we've talked about? I can give one, which is a small actually manufacturer that is one of our customers. It's Sun Paper Company out of Miami. Um, they produce toilet paper, facial tissue, paper towels, napkins for a lot of the national retailers. And they also specialize in sustainable green products that are really set apart by high quality and innovation. So one of the challenges that they were facing were that they wanted to increase their volume and grow their logistics operation too, so they could overall increase their entire operation. They were really stuck in spreadsheets and manual processes, and it took them very long to scale their operation. So once they implemented QuickPace, they were able to more easily see the end-to-end process and automate all of their tasks. They created custom dashboards, and then the local, our local platform also enabled them to get alerts when they were doing, they were moving their logistics ahead and shipping to the different retailers across the board. And they're very quickly adding new applications and functionality too. Well, so I was just going to caveat here. I understand that you may not be able to share all of the numbers, but I'm curious about things like how long did that take and what did it actually look like? Where, where did they start from? What did QuickBase face? What did your team see when they first came in? And how did you get the train moving? Because it sounds like it's just so tough to overcome that momentum. Yeah, so this is one of the examples where we have a case study. And in this case, the IT director was also very involved. And he was the one who was also tasked with like working with us to figure out how they scaled their operations, right? Like, So they were manually entering shipping orders before they looked into low code. And similar to the things we've been talking about earlier, they had like a lot of Excel sheets and they were faxing them over to all of their carriers and then they were using the Excel spreadsheets back to manage all of the orders and look at who is bringing back what, which of the products have been shipped and where do they need to add more, you know. So keeping track of all of that, especially when your operation is scaling really fast, was really hard. So what they told us was that they needed something that was easier and less time consuming. But I think in all of these examples, the customer often comes to us with a specific problem they're looking to solve. Like in this case, if they were trying to automate their spreadsheets and, you know, move faster. And then our teams, a combination of Peter and some other folks would do like a deep discovery with them and really understand what are those end-to-end processes. So I think on the small business side, the process of discovery could take maybe a couple of weeks. And sometimes we start with the smaller deployment. But on the larger side with manufacturing, it could take, you know, us fairly like a few months to map out like all of the different processes across the organization that we're looking to transform. Mm -hmm. Peter, do you have anything to add? I've, I've got a couple more questions around that. 
Yeah, I'll, my stories are a little messier because I've, I've worked with some of the larger manufacturing and automotive companies in the world. And it'll be years before something gets wings where the pain is enough to think about another way to work. I mean, in my story, worked with one plant making engines and they were getting shut down from creating application, like doing things. Well, no, they were, they were not getting the support they needed from IT to create an application to track equipment breakdowns and some of the KPIs that they really need to measure uh, for those pieces of equipment, including the processes around finding the root cause, why did it break down and putting in the countermeasures so it never happens again. And they found QuickBase by doing a, they took a trip to an airline company that was using QuickBase. Southwest actually is a well-documented case study. They stumbled upon QuickBase and long story short is they ended up solving that one problem with the tool. And we really struggled to start a conversation about, well, low code as a platform. And it wasn't until years later where we where we had another plant come to us with uh, a kind of bigger problem. And that started a conversation where we got IT involved, central IT, corporate. And now we have a movement for a low code governance structure and all the stuff we talked about. But it's messy. It's multiple years, potentially. And it's, it looks a little bit different for everybody. Well, I was going to say, I think that the principles apply, though, right? Because you've got this change in the organization that has to happen. And everybody who is affected by that change, the stakeholders, if you will, need to be on board. Because that's really where the failure comes from in IT projects, is that people just don't use them or they just don't get what they need and therefore they don't use them. So I want to I want to come back to the small manufacturing example because what I heard you describe Sonia was that you had this customer that had a lot of different moving parts that were potentially integrated in some manual and automatic ways but you just had a lot of messy moving parts. And so as a, as a small manufacturing business owner, what I would hear when you propose replacing all of that with a low-code solution is that I'm going to have to do all of this at once and bring in and replace everything. And that's a huge risk to a business. In fact, that's a terrible idea. So I don't think that that's really what you guys are doing. So can you talk a little bit more about how that incremental transition happens? That's a good point that the incremental transition does happen, right? Like because we are perfecting or helping businesses perfect their unique processes, it's not a deploy once and never change, but it's more like how do you constantly innovate and change the application to meet the needs of your business? So in the example that we discussed earlier, they may have started with just digitizing their spreadsheets and looking at like a logistics app and tracking their delivery. But now they've moved on to like also project managing on the shop floor, right? Like they can use the mobile devices to look at like the production schedules and look at what are the plans for what is needed next, right? As opposed to going back and forth on their spreadsheets and manually tracking everything. Their IT team is able to see the visual reports of how much tonnage is required for production today, tomorrow, even next week, right? The folks at the docks are able to check on their drivers and see who's coming to pick up and what, when are the deliveries scheduled. So it's across the board that their operation is now moving to digital and it is transforming, but it's not that we are replacing jobs with low-code software or that we are you know, putting rigid processes in place, but it's more like as the business is growing, the people closest to the work are being empowered to think creatively and solve those problems and then connect their apps together and have one platform that meets the needs of their business end-to-end. Okay, so let's say you have one particular piece. You want to you start with something small. So in your case, you had this client, this small manufacturer. They would pick something like one of their spreadsheets. You mentioned that they might want to digitize it. So they can use something like QuickBase to replace that one piece of their larger flow, of their larger workflow. What kind of returns can you expect to see on doing something like that immediately? Like, is that something that you have to do that a couple times over before you really get any kind of benefit out of it? Or what 
how could you justify making that investment? On the ROI side, the ROI is instantaneous as well, right? Because once you're digitizing, you're saving time, you're starting to save cost. The manual labor that was going into maintaining all of the spreadsheets is now digitized. So that ROI is there right away, but we've seen customers have huge savings on their operations overall. And in this particular case, I can find the, if you want, I can find the case study and give you the dollar figures on that too. Sure. Do you want to, do you want to pull that up and then maybe let Peter jump in here if he's got anything to add while you're looking for that? Yeah. Like my thought is that ROI is one of the hardest things to calculate in any just transformation effort. I know because I ask every day what's the impact and I try to put dollars and cents and metrics to it. It's an important question. And I, I think that some manufacturers really only justify investments with hard savings. So you have to tie an investment back to number of hours that you're, you know, literally FTE that's reduced from a by cutting out a, a, an inefficient task. But in, in other scenarios, you can actually, it's part of the exercise as a group is coming up with, well, what are the assumptions we can make as to how we're going to improve? How many hours a day do we spend compiling reports? How many hours a day do we spend going back and forth on a certain topic? With a lot of manufacturers, there's actually an aspect of ROI around virtualization because it's very expensive to travel and get folks into a room and to actually like talk about a project where you've got all of your KPIs printed out on a whiteboard and diagrams. And so there is also a, a really good case we made for the savings associated with virtualization and being able to give everyone everyone the insight they need and the dashboards they need and the, the work so that they can have more of their touch points virtually. And that's something that's been coming up recently as well as a, a definitely a major ROI lever. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point because on the one hand, you do want to be able to make an objective decision about, am I going to get a return on this? But on the other hand, it can be really difficult to identify exactly what that is. So in a lot of cases, you might have to come up with proxies to what is this really costing us or what do we think this is costing us or how do we actually, if we can't directly measure success, what is a good substitute? So you can't just go into it with this idea of slash and burn cost savings or you're missing the point entirely. The other op way to look at it is a lot of uh, organizations have some executive priorities or initiatives that have a budget. And if you can kind of align the tools to supporting an initiative and having an impact on a key priority for the company, then you can take the angle of, well, it's not a cost savings tool. It's, it's an enablement tool to help us to get closer to this goal of reducing X by Y, right? Or improving X by Y. And, and that, that's another angle that sometimes helps to justify an investment. And actually on that, one of the examples that we cite a lot on the marketing side is our customer Metso, who has saved like six engineering man months. So that's a good indication of the type of ROI too, right? Like where you're thinking about not just cost and time, but also like how are the resources that I'm deploying on this being better used for something that's more critical. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because you're not really just talking about those aren't six engineering man months that you're just going to get rid of. Those are six months that somebody could be spending that time on something that has greater value downstream to the customer. Yeah, I think that's a good point because when we positioned that Metso was able to save six engineering man months, that also really resonates with a lot of the manufacturers that we target and talk to because they don't want their top resources often to be tied into a lot of spreadsheets and doing the manual work, which could be automated, but thinking more about like bigger projects and creative solutions to take the business forward. Yeah, and I can think of a specific example. So if you had a, a manufacturing engineer who was responsible for your scheduling, if you had a smarter system that was pulling data in from QuickBase or from any kind of integrated system like that, and you could free that person up to figure out perhaps 
how to schedule more efficiently or how to improve the production process, you could be talking about not just direct savings of the time as it equates to you know, full-time employment costs, but you could be talking about the opportunity cost of radically making improvements to your business that could have huge, we're talking in the millions of impact on a business. And, and for a small manufacturer, that's really the holy grail is to figure out what those opportunities are to grow and compete. Yeah, that a lot of um, manufacturers talked about hidden costs and there's a huge emphasis on reducing waste and hidden costs, but notoriously difficult to quantify that. And so I think that's why it really isn't, it takes a certain cast of characters to make this happen right. In that cast of characters is leadership that can kind of see the vision beyond the short-term costs, because we know how difficult it is to put a immediate ROI on an investment like a QuickBase or a similar low-code tool. It's actually not expensive to get started. So that's that's actually a good thing. But you, you kind of have to be able to see the interconnectedness and see what is the value of taking that latent creativity that is all that millions of dollars worth of value creation that you referenced from not doing something in a, an automated way and going out on a limb a little bit to say, this is something that can really be a good thing for us. But it might take years to really get the engine revving and to realize the, the full benefit. Yeah, that's a long-term outlook. And we're going to have to wrap up here pretty soon. But on that note, I want to ask about something that's a little bit more timely. And that is, of course, right now we're going through the coronavirus quarantine. And that is going to have substantial indefinite impact on the future and how people work together. And I think Personally, I believe that this is going to accelerate not only the actual reality of digital transformation, but it's going to necessitate this even more. So I'd like to get maybe a quick comment on how you see things changing over the next couple of years and how low-code solutions can play into that. Yeah, you're right. I, th I really think you're right in that coronavirus has been an accelerator of a lot of trends that have been maybe maybe bubbling. Definitely one is working collaboratively remotely. Manufacturing is a tough industry because obviously you need to be present to, for, for a lot of that. But there's no reason why in a time like this, I'm actually hearing a lot of companies focusing on process improvement, focusing on tools and systems in a way that they could never do it in, in the past. So it's kind of a weird silver lining in, in this time that we're actually having a chance to have some conversations that we, we couldn't have otherwise. And it's also going to push us to improve the, the, the processes that are maybe right now all based on paper because we can't necessarily assume we're going to have access to everything that's, that's physical. Sonia, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think. What Peter said is really true, but it, as we're thinking through coronavirus and what's happening with COVID-19, one of the trends that I've picked up on is that you really need to adapt fast. And as everybody is working remotely, and even folks who are considered essential workers right now and are going into work, right? Like even they have to change and adapt really fast. And local solutions are something that can help them do that. Because you now have an even smaller workforce than you did in the past, right? That is of those essential, worker, uh, essential workers who are on the front lines trying to deal with a lot of this. So then how do you make them more effective and give them the tools that'll, that are going to help them be successful and scale the things that they're trying to do? And I think the other trend that's also come up a lot is like the need to support the emergency responders and the workers who are on the front lines, right? Like the healthcare providers, and this is something I think with local solutions that play a really big role there too, because you don't want the healthcare providers right now to be bogged down by spreadsheets or by thinking through, uh, you know, all the manual tasks. So if you had something like a local solution that could take care of that for you while you're focusing on the most important work. Right, right. You don't you don't want to be riding in the ambulance to the hospital and the paramedic is like, sorry, there's. You know, there's all this paperwork that I got to do or I can't reach my 
my colleagues or I can't access the, the information about your condition because I just don't have the right tools to do that. And it's the same in the manufacturing business as well, of course. I'll echo Sonia's comments on adaptability. I think that was a really good point is, if anything, this has taught us how important it is to be ready to mobilize. And to mobilize, you have to have all your data stored in, in order so that you can connect the right things very quickly to create the experiences and applications you need to solve a problem that you need to solve today. And that's just not something that's going to happen over overnight. We kind of have to plan to be ready to act fast. And I think Lokwood really supports that that vision. Absolutely. Yeah. And as a software engineer, I mean, it would be easy for me to think, oh, my God, low code is going to replace the, the need. But I actually see this as an enabler of doing things that should not be really a big deal to free us up to everybody, to free developers, software engineers, to free up leaders, to free up line workers, everybody to be focused on the things that actually add value. So on that note, I'd like to ask you to leave us with one key takeaway that you think that small manufacturers should be considering right now, and especially as that pertains to the potential to use a low-code solution. My advice has been pretty consistent across the board. I think one is is take action, but then there's an easy, it's easy to kind of get overwhelmed with, with what do I do? So get a group together, agree that you want to take some action and find a problem to solve and to use that problem to solve to learn about how to, how to do things differently. And in that journey of solving that problem, the risk is pretty low. You'll end up with, with the solution to a small problem, but the upside is huge in that you, you might have stumbled onto something that could change the way you do work. I think if you take it one bite at a time, that's, that's how you, quote, boil the ocean of, of transforming to a an organization centered on, you know, innovation at the edge, citizen development, low code, whatever, whatever you want to call it. But you just got to take the first step. Mm-hmm. Well said. Sonia, do you want to add anything to that and maybe uh, tell us how we can get in touch with QuickBase? Sure. I think Peter kind of hit on all the topics, but what I can add there is that my one takeaway is that really enable your problem solvers in your organization, right? Like regardless of their technical background, and help them with the right tools so they can come together and create and innovate and really develop that ecosystem of applications that can scale your business. And I think low-code is something that can help them do that. And to your second question on how people can get in touch with us, they can go to quickbase.com and fill out the contact us form, which is really quickbase.com slash contact dash us. And we can get back to them on any needs that they have very quickly. Okay, perfect. And Peter, if there were any manufacturing engineers are out there who wanted to also maybe get in touch with you directly, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, I mean, I would just recommend they reach out to me by, by email. I don't know if you have the spelling below, but it's going to be prifkin at quickbase.com. I might not be the, the best point of contact for, for the inquiry, but I'm happy to at least be an initial sounding board and, and to get you with the, the right team to support your transformation effort or just to hear your ideas out great that would be p rifkin r-i-f-k-e-n at quickbase q-u-i-c-k-b-a-s-e.com yep that sounds right all right guys thank you so much i really appreciate everything it's been great talking to you thanks chad this was a lot of fun thanks chad